Our Old Testament lesson this morning is Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 12, which can be found on page 1145 in your pew Bibles. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 through 12. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for all that you have made. Lord, we thank you for all that you have given to us. We thank you for the ways that we can uh, see who you are, the ways you've revealed, things you've revealed about yourself in your creation. But Lord, we're also thankful that we don't only have creation to look at, that you have given us more. You have given us your word. You have given us your son. So Lord, we ask that this morning you would help us to pay attention to those things in creation uh, that point to you. We also pray that you would help us to pay attention to your word that you have given to us. And we pray most of all that you would help us to pay attention to your son. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Isaiah chapter 53. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, and with the rich in his death, Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. And he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. And he will divide the spoils with the strong. Because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Turning then to Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 26, which will be found on page 1644 in the Pew Bibles. familiar scene to you. Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 26. It says, now that same day, this is the day that Jesus raised from the dead. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? 
They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I don't know if you understood that first passage we read perfectly clearly upon first reading. But if you did, you're probably in the minority. This morning, we're looking at a passage in Acts. We've actually been looking at Acts for a while now. And we are looking at the spread of the good news of Jesus, of Jesus who born, ministered, preached the kingdom of God, and then who was and gave signs of that, and then who was killed, but who raised again from the dead, and then sent people out and said, you are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we have seen the message spreading throughout Jerusalem to the point that it got people in trouble by the religious leaders there, and they started persecuting them, and most of them were driven out of the city. And as they went out, they went out preaching and proclaiming the good news wherever they went. And we see them going into Samaria. And we saw a guy named Philip who was in Samaria and preaching and how that went. We're going to see the same guy again today in a different area with a different person. And yet, some similarities. Here we have Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? 
Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So there you have it. Go and do likewise. Okay, maybe it's not quite that simple. This is a passage where it's real easy to get tripped up and start uh, having arguments about baptism or evangelism or whatever else. So I think we need to back up a bit on this and look at what it is that Luke is telling us as he writes this particular passage and what that then means for us today. Because I do think that this passage has a lot to do with baptism and it has to do with evangelism. But we generally start on the wrong foot when trying to answer those questions. And we go to this passage to answer questions they weren't asking. Let me just tell you off the bat, though. When I talk about evangelism, I'm talking about telling people the good news of Jesus. That's what I mean by evangelism. We see Philip doing that. We are all called to tell people the good news about Jesus. But if what we see in this particular passage is just a model of evangelism that we are to follow, and by that I mean a very literal wooden structure of evangelism, we might come to the conclusion that what we are to do as Christians is wait for an angel to tell us to go to a road, and once he does that, then wait until, then go up to a chariot Good luck. And then <laughs> when you hear somebody reading Isaiah out loud, that, and we take this really, really specific approach to it and say, well, if that's what we're called to do, then I'm off the hook. I'll just wait till I hear from you know, an angel to tell me to go to a road or wait till I hear somebody reading Isaiah out loud from, the, from a chariot. And if that doesn't happen, then I don't ever have to tell anybody about Jesus. If that's the way we're looking at this passage then we've understood it all wrong. What we see instead is the same kind of thing, but an expansion of this that we saw earlier of a people who went out from Jerusalem, people who had had their lives changed by Jesus, who had the Holy Spirit in them and are now going out, are spreading this good news wherever they go, whatever's going on. And so we see evangelism not as a method of you go to this place and you do it this way, but more, wherever you go and whatever you're doing, this is the core of who you are. This is part of what it means to be a Christian, is to talk about Jesus. And you're going to do that wherever you are, with whoever you're with, and in whatever way is most appropriate. That's what we see with Philip. And if that's the case, and those of us who think we might be off the hook, I hope we realize we're all on the hook again. Because this is what it means to be a part of, of this Christian movement. It's to be people who've had their lives changed by Jesus, who understand the good news and how that good news is for everybody. Here's the other part of this. This Ethiopian eunuch, let me, let me just read this part again. This is weird. It says, he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the, I said Kandake, right? I don't know if that threw anybody, which means queen of the Ethiopians. 
If you're using a different translation, it might say Candace there. It's actually where we get our English name, Candace. But it's actually a title, kind of like Caesar or something. It just means the queen of the Ethiopians or the, the mother of the king kind of thing. Anyway, so don't let that confuse you if you see something different there. But this person was an important official in Ethiopia. And in fact, he was a eunuch in Ethiopia. And both of those things, being a eunuch and being an Ethiopian, were reasons why Philip might not have talked to him. And I don't mean not shared the good news of Jesus with him. I mean not talked to him at all. You remember that uh, when Jesus went to the well in Samaria, and there was a woman there, and she was surprised that he was talking to her because she was a woman, and she was a Samaritan, and Jews don't talk to Samaritans. Samaritans were at least kind of half-Jewish at any rate. Ethiopians, not even. Not even. And so this is you know, much more removed. And this is, uh, and then you have in Deuteronomy where someone who is a eunuch was not even allowed to come into the place of worship. They were to be set out, apart, away. And so here we have somebody who really has several strikes against them. And yet, what is he doing? He's coming to Jerusalem. And I don't want you to pass over that and think that's just normal. Like, well, yeah, everybody goes to Jerusalem. Ethiopians don't go to Jerusalem to worship. Ethiopians, the, the, Jerusalem is the center of, is, of worship for Israel. It's the place where the Israelites gather to worship their God. Why is an Ethiopian coming all the way to Jerusalem to worship? The Israelite God unless he already has an understanding of what the Bible's been saying the whole time, that while God has said to the Israelites, you will be my people and I will be your God, he has also said throughout the whole of the scripture that he is not only the God of Israel, but the God of all creation. That he is the one true God over everyone and everything. And so this Ethiopian, who may not know a whole lot, at least knows that. And he's coming to Jerusalem to worship this one true God, presumably. And while he's there, maybe he picks up the scroll of Isaiah, which we take that for granted, too, that, oh, yeah, he's sitting in, sitting in the chariot reading his Bible, kind of like how we're sitting in our car reading our Bible. People didn't have Bibles back then. There was no printing press. There was no copy machine. People wrote by hand, and it took a long time. And so any one book of the Bible would take a long time to write it out, and it would take materials that were expensive. And so for him to have a copy of the scroll of Isaiah was a big deal. Somehow he has one, probably because he was one of the officials in Ethiopian, an important official in charge of all the treasury. Maybe she had sent him to Jerusalem and said, bring me back something nice. <laughs> and he gets there, and he says, this is pretty nice. I'll take her one of these. I bet she doesn't have one. I bet she doesn't either. And as he's coming back, he's reading it out loud, which is what you'd, what you'd do. And he's reading out loud. And I love the, the opening question. When Philip hears him reading this passage out loud, he says, do you, do you understand what you're reading? Do you know what this is? And his response is so honest. He doesn't. It's not a yes, it's not a no. It is... How can I, unless somebody explains it to me? 
In other words, I'm reading it. I understand that I don't understand what I'm reading. But I also know that I really want to. And I know there are people who do understand, and I really want them to tell me. Now, that is, like a, that is a dream moment for any, anybody who's wanting to tell somebody about Jesus, for them to say, <laughs> I don't understand, I want to understand, can you tell me? Yes, <laughs> here we go, let's begin. It's not usually how the conversation goes. But Philip begins, it says, with that very passage. Begins with that very passage and tells them the good news about Jesus. Starts right where this guy is. And says, this is what you're reading. Let me tell you what this is about. And what it's about is Jesus. Now, if you read that passage again, you can see, and maybe especially after thinking through what we talked about with the children's sermon, you can see how this particular passage, even from Isaiah, is pointing to Jesus. This passage was written hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born, is pointing to Jesus. And so Philip starts right there. And he says, let me tell you about this lamb. Let me tell you about this one who like, was led like a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Let me tell you about Jesus who marched straight to Jerusalem, knowing that when he got there, it was going to mean he was going to be killed. And when they arrested him and they took him before certain leaders, he refused to say anything. Even though what he would say could have freed him. But he knew he was on his way to be sacrificed. That he was giving his life for you. And you know, the Ethiopian man is saying, for me? I'm not even Jewish. For me, I'm a eunuch of all things. There are parts of me that are really messed up now. There are parts of my life and my history and my position and my body that are all wrong. He died for me. And then we get that part at the end. For receiving this message as good news, he comes to some water and says, what's to prevent me from being baptized? And again, we pass over this too easily. Because what we say is, well, nothing. Of course, yeah, be baptized. This was revolutionary. That Philip would say, there's nothing keeping you from being baptized. Because at that time, and in Jewish culture, if an Ethiopian eunuch said, what's to prevent me from being baptized? They would have said, I think it's pretty obvious. What's preventing you from being baptized? Thanks anyway. We appreciate your interest. Call back when you're Jewish and perfect. And Philip, Philip, though, takes him right into the water and baptizes him. So this is, this is the story. But I still haven't told you what it's actually about. Because it's not just about evangelism to this particular man. This is a continuation of the story that we've been seeing. And Philip here is kind of in the forefront. He's not the hero of the story. He really isn't. 
And Philip is, I believe, in this story at this particular place in time because what we're getting ready to see next is a guy named Paul and how he gets sent out as the, the one who goes to all the Gentiles, the apostle to the Gentiles. So everybody who's not Jewish, Paul's going to go out and take the good news to them. But Paul's not the hero either. I think that's why we see the story of Philip doing it first. Philip going to an Ethiopian before Paul ever gets to it. So it's not a, it's not a Paul thing. It's also not a Philip thing. This is a Spirit of God thing, and this is what he's doing in his church, and he is spreading this message through his people everywhere. And we'll see that in the weeks to come, but even now we're seeing that going to this particular individual from Ethiopia. And that's why we see throughout these parts that we tend to skip over of um, verse 26. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go to this place. And then... The Spirit, verse 29, the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot, stay near it. And then, you go on a little farther, um, and it says, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. Then Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel. And so you see, throughout the whole thing, yes, Philip is there. He's doing things. But he's doing things dependent on the Spirit who is leading him every step of the way. So why is Philip in this area? Why is it that he hears this man reading Isaiah? Why is it that he has this golden opportunity to share about Jesus? He's there because he's following where the Spirit is leading him. The Holy Spirit is the hero of this story and of the whole story. So here's what I think our prayer should be. God, put me where you want me and use me where you put me. God, put me where you want me and use me where you put me. This seems to be what the apostles are doing. This seems to be what Philip is doing. This seems to be the way that God has worked through his people from the very beginning, where he says, go to Abraham Go, leave your family, leave your father's home, leave everybody, leave everything behind, and I'll show you a place. I don't know where I'm going, but okay, and he follows. Jesus says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Where are we going? He doesn't say. (laughs) You'll see. In the same way, we see the disciples following the Spirit of God wherever it is he leads. And they find themselves on strange roads, by strange chariots, with strange people inside them. But we have this constant idea, this prayer, put me where you want me. This is your story, it's not my story. So where do you want me? You know what's going on. You know what the needs are out there. You know who needs to hear the good news. Put me where you want me. That is much easier to say than to mean. Challenge this week is to pray it and mean it. Put me where you want me. And then, use me where you put me. This changes the way that we view all of our circumstances and situations. When you are trying to get on a flight and it's been canceled and now you're going to be at the airport an hour and a half longer than you expected and everything that you've planned has all come to nothing, 
how you view those, that hour and a half will change considerably if this is the prayer you prayed that morning. Put me where you want me. And now you see, wait, I'm in this airport, but I'm not the only one in this airport. All right, God, why am I still here? Now use me where you've put me. And in this time, in this place, use me where you've put me. Like I say, this changes, this changes everything. It's kind of a, a silly example, but I'm sure you have many others where your instinct is to frustration, where your instinct is to my way, my plans, my agenda. And God says, this is not your story. But I will put you where I want you. And I will use you where I put you. If you will listen, and if you will follow. And when you do, then you will see the Spirit of God at work in you, through you, and you'll see situations maybe not exactly like this one, but you'll start to see more of the Spirit of God at work in your life and the people around you. If this is our prayer, God, put me where you want me. And use me where you put me. Philip is taken away. And then it says he appears somewhere else. Once again, spirit moving him. Place to place to place. And what's he doing when he's there? He's there. He's preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. He's heading up to Caesarea now. And all along the way, it's the same story. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, there's this uh, very, very famous passage known as the Shema. And this is where uh, Moses says to the people of Israel, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your children, are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you stay at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. In other words... He's saying, this is what is to be a part of your life, wherever you are, whether you're at home, whether you're away, whether you're sitting down, whether you're getting up, whether you're coming or going, wherever you are, whatever it is you're doing, this is what should be in your heart. If you are loving the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, that's not part-time. That's where you are, whatever you're doing. This, you look at then Matthew, and Jesus says, uh, I have not come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So you look at a passage like that, where Moses says, you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And these commandments that I give you are to be on your hearts, and then through all these things. Is Jesus saying, I'm doing away with that? No, Jesus is the one person who actually did it. 
And then we see, um, and then we see Philip. Same thing. Now Jesus is at the center of that. Wherever he goes, whatever he's doing, it's the fulfillment of the law. This fulfillment of the Shema we see in Philip and the lives of other Christians. One more place. This is Colossians uh, chapter 4. I gave you kind of a simple way to remember this kind of a prayer. Put me where you want me and use me where you put me. Here's how Paul puts it. Colossians 4, chapter or chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. He says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Philip obviously didn't have a one-size-fits-all answer, but he did know Jesus. He knew that Jesus was going to be the end result. He's going to be the where we're going with this conversation. And so when this guy asks, can you explain this to me? Yes, I can. And he starts there. He starts with who this guy is. He starts with where he is. And then he takes him and leads him on the way to Jesus. This is a, hopefully a different view of evangelism than uh, maybe what you had before. That Something very different anyway. Hopefully, you can see this now as if Jesus is the one who is in you, who is changing you, and who is the core of who you are. That talking about him would be what you would want to do with those who need to hear it. And since we don't know who that is, that now we'd see the importance of that prayer. Put me where you want me, and use me where you put me. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.